I'm Catherine Budig. And I'm Kate Fagan. And this is Free Cookies, a humorous podcast filled with thoughtful conversations and offering delicious takeaways. And it's a new season. It is. We don't even, I don't know what season this is. Do you know what season this is? It's season seven. 4.7. 4.2. This is, you gotta, up, you gotta update this in your iOS. <laughs> um, but this season we are focusing on authors. We're focusing on authors ranging from fiction to memoir to cookbook. To, to scientific text. To dogs who have written memoirs. Oh, I love that one memoir. Ashi's definitely going to be an episode. Yeah. But this was an idea that my wife, my wife, Catherine, <laughs> came up with three months ago or so that you really wanted to, you've been reading more and you wanted to start something where some of these selections that have wowed you, you'd be able to share with people. And then so we just partnered it all up with... Free Cookies podcast, which you're listening to? Well, and it's one of those things, and I, I would assume that a lot of the listeners relate to this, but realization that I made a long time ago and that I forgot because it's hard to take care of yourself is that I am a much happier person when I'm in mm-hmm. the middle of reading a book. Mm-hmm. It's something that I, mm-hmm. I, I de- definitely have noticed a difference. Like if there's a story that I have to go home to, I'm just happier. Yeah. It's so because I've been flying a lot lately, and I have a book right now that. I'm in the middle of, and I even walk onto a plane happier because mm. instead of being like, oh, I got an hour 45 to figure out, to, I guess to just like look at my phone or whatever stupid stuff I was going to be doing now, I walk onto the plane. I'm like, mm, I got my book. I got my book. Right. And yet so. it's this culture where we tell ourselves, I'm too busy to read right now. Like if I'm on a plane, I need to finish this manuscript or I need to hand in this doc or I need to blah, 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 Or I need blah. to email all the people. Or, all the you know, and I got to say, and this is not a knock to her, one of her favorite pastimes, but Netflix, you have really messed with our reading schedule. Because we, we will just binge. We are binging Vikings right now. We are also binging Ragnarok. We have a Norseman theme going on in our household right now. We are deep in Scandinavia. Which has absolutely nothing to do with who we're interviewing today yes. or our first book choice. So we are back and <laughs> we are thrilled because today we are kicking it off right this season 4.2 of Free Cookies. We are bringing you Glennon Doyle, whose new book is... Untamed. And in honor of this, Catherine, you can't see it because this is an audio medium, is wearing a cheetah print. I am, and it has fringe. And those of you, hopefully, who have read Untamed, or even if you're in the very beginning of it, you know that the book starts off with a cheetah metaphor. Yeah, you really don't need to read it. It's legitimately the first chapter. Yes. Which is not even really a quote. She, the, the way that she structured this book is so awesome because it's all little amuse-bouche. It's like all these little bites, and it's not any kind of chronological order, you can pick it up and just read a little bit and put it down next to your bed whenever you want. Although that's not going to happen because you're going to want to keep reading. Yeah. And there's so many parts of this book, little insights that Glennon also enforced by, reinforced by her wife, Abby Wambach, who's like, you know, we've interviewed her. Who was the very first episode of Free Cookies, Hawaii. Um, that was season 1.1. 1.1. 1. 1.1. You can go back and you can you can listen to the original free cookies. But Abby Abby and Glennon, Glennon had shared that like the two of them will talk about ideas and and there's so many little ones that I, I think anyone who reads this book will take away and will maybe shift a little bit in how they see themselves or how they see their place in the world. And one of the ones that that we talked about a lot that Glennon shares is the daring nature and the the risk in a lot of ways that the two of them took to create their relationship. Right. It's not verbatim, but she quotes something along the lines of the more risks I take, the luckier I am. Yeah. And that's not, like that. yeah, that, that's like, 
It's not an original thought, but it's a very good one. Yeah, and it's one that every few years we need to remind ourselves that those who dare... Dare greatly. Dare greatly. I think that's a Brene Brown. We're just really hitting the zeitgeist here. (laughs) I was like, didn't a Roman say that? (laughs) Well, probably originally, but then I think one of Brene Brown's books is Daring Greatly. Yeah. But Brene Brown said it first, I think. Maybe it was Aristotle. Did he think things and say things? And then it was Brene Brown. Occasionally. Let's quote Brene. But we really, you and I really connected with this idea of taking risks and daring greatly when it came to our pers- when it came to our relationship as mm-hmm. well in the ways in in which in the beginning before we got together but we had met we thought there's just too many obstacles and maybe this is not the relationship that we are meant to have the timing that's a big thing right the timing is wrong and that's what we thought a lot in the beginning and timing quote unquote timing is everything but neither of us i think are people who let something like bad timing interfere with something that we want. And the concept of there's no such thing as a good decision or a bad decision. There's the simplicity of following your gut in the moment and then everything will unfold. And that, that the lack of needing to understand what is going to happen, the ability to fully embrace the unknown in the moment and just follow what it is in your gut. And sure, you can make a decision and a month later be like, that was a horrible decision. Or perhaps a month later, it's the best decision you've made in your entire life. But that can't change the, the impetus of where the, the I need to move forward, I need to change, I need to break free. Because that is a feeling that if you have that inside of you and you know something's wrong, you may not make, the first decision may not be the groundbreaking one that changes you and makes you happier, but it is a step of getting away from the things that haven't been serving you anymore. Yeah. Because Glennon, Glennon shares in the book and these are the thoughts that she was having before she ended her marriage to be with Abby. And these are, I think thoughts that all of us have in some version of another where it's, is this self, is it too selfish of me? Mm-hmm. Because I've, I've made this commitment to this marriage and, and I have kids and then therefore I need to subjugate myself to those decisions that I made previously. And I can't leave my marriage because then it will impact my kids. Now, that may not connect with you completely if you don't have kids. But I think even before we got together, after we had met, I thought, well, I can't behave this way. I can't act this way because it will be selfish and it will be it'll be too impatient. And I'll be and I will set myself up for disaster and not trusting the things that I wanted and creating all of these roadblocks that are more societal than than I actually needed to create. Absolutely. So that, I mean, but there's all kinds of little insights in the book beyond just this one that I think you and I enjoyed so much and that we try to tease out of of Glennon to tease out. And this is also, we we need to mention that I started a digital (gasps) Instagram book club. Um, you oh, guys. Oh, wow. Did I not, did I not name check right, that right at the top? No, but that's okay. It's called the Inky Phoenix. At the Inky Phoenix. And it's P-H-O-E-N-I-X. Phoenix turns out is a really hard word to spell. Not as hard as rhythm. It's true. Because rhythm is, is the hardest word to spell. I would say number one, rhythm. Number two, Phoenix. Number three, Massachusetts. That is so hard. Really? Right? I think Mas- Mississippi. We can all spell Mississippi for, you know, m- melodic reasons. I but- also have a problem with separate. Oh, I misspell that word every time. Yeah, yeah. Freaking A. And so, point being, back to the Inky Phoenix, it is a new digital online Instagram book club, which I know sounds wrong in many ways, but I got to tell y'all, since I started this book club, I actually am filled with joy when I load my Instagram page instead of 
somebody set the timer before my brain implodes and I feel lesser than, which is often what Instagram does for me. Yep. And um, I'm just very excited to create a community where we come together, share ideas, read books. It's going to be fiction, nonfiction. It will lean heavily into fiction because that's my love, which is why this is kind of a curious choice to launch it. But I do believe this book is magic. Yeah. I do. And I, I think that anyone who reads this book is going to benefit from it in some shape or form. So that's why we launched with it. We'd love to have you there. Um, you, don't, yeah. you don't pay for it. There's nothing you have to do. You can watch silently from the corners of your bedroom and read your book there. You don't have to interact. Or you can get involved and speak up. You can use the hashtag, the Inky Phoenix, if you're going to post on your own page so we can all um, share with you. Yeah, and we're just super excited about this season of Free Cookies because I feel that we're going to be able to dive into the stories that we love and we also will have a, a couple nonfiction ones even talking about the way to create stories totally. and, and cook the book power authors, of storytelling. So all sorts of stuff. And also um, if it's important to you, it's very important to us. We partnered with the Blue Bicycle, which is this amazing bookstore in Charleston, South Carolina. It's a local indie bookseller and they are going to be offering discounts on all of our titles. It's very easy. The code is free cookies and you're going to get 10% F-R-E-E. off. F-R-E-E. <laughs> Not so hard to spell. Not as hard to spell. So um, please check them out. And I know Amazon is so freaking easy and all you have to do is like show your eyeballs and you can order it. <laughs> but if you truly believe in true literature and it is something that you love, like we need to support these booksellers because Amazon is crushing them. And it is because a little more money, but these are the people who, I mean, they bleed ink. Like, they care. This is their and, passion. And because of the feeling you get when you walk into a bookstore and you can just roam around and pick up books and be surrounded by books, it's just a different feeling to be able to go inside a brick-and-mortar bookstore. Why are you laughing at me? Okay, I'm going to share a really random, embarrassing memory about being a kid. <laughs> oh, my God, I can't believe I'm going to share this. Uh, Producer Lindsay, we might need to cut this. Um, when I was little, I've always loved going into bookstores, but <laughs> did you like, okay, I'm not even going to predict. Okay. <laughs> and the weirdest thing that used to happen to me when I was, I think I like this stopped happening when I was about 11 or 12, but every time I would go into a bookstore, I'd have to poop. I think I would just get so excited that I would have to poop. And it, but not all bookstores have bathrooms. But they're just, it's fibrous. I don't know what it would be. Like I would get in there and I would start looking at them and I'd be like, oh, it's happening. I, I just, anyway, and is, any, is anyone else? out there like me please hit us up at uh, freecookiespodcast at gmail.com or gmail. if you have a good doctor that if, I could talk to <laughs> if you relate to Catherine uh, maybe I need to do a past life regression <laughs> maybe but we, we bring thrilled. on Glennon now <laughs> we are thrilled to have Glennon Doyle as our first guest so excited I gotta run to the bathroom but I'll 4. be back 4.2 of free cookies alright Glennon Lennon Doyle is the author of the number one New York Times bestseller, Love Warrior, an Oprah's book club selection, as well as the New York Times bestseller, Carry On Warrior. She is an activist, a speaker, and a thought leader, and she's also the founder and president of Together Rising. Glennon was named among the Oprah Winfrey Network's Super Soul 100 inaugural group as one of the 100, quote, awakened leaders who are using their voices and talent to elevate humanity. She lives in Florida with her wife and her three children. So let's bring her on, Glennon Doyle. Welcome, Glennon. Hello, hello. <laughs> All right, I'm diving right in. Okay, so you have um, you have this part at the beginning of Untamed where you guys are at a zoo-like area and you notice 
this, uh, the cheetah, the cheetah goes on the run and there's all, and, and, and all, and the readers of, of this book of which there will be so many will know what I'm talking about here. And I just want to get some insight into how your brain works. Were you standing there watching this and thinking to yourself, this is the perfect metaphor and it was all unspooling or did you have that little vibration of insight? And then later on weeks, months down the line, you, you unraveled it all. Okay, well, I'll tell you my best answer because I don't really remember a lot of things. I only know what's going on right exactly now. But um, what I can tell you is that I had been searching for a perfect metaphor for this feeling that I had in my life that I was chasing all the wrong things and that those wrong things had been planted in me by someone, right? Like mm-hmm. these ideas that these ideals and expectations that about how to be a woman and how to be a mother and that they, that they'd been given to me somehow, you know, and that because I had not examined them, that I was spending my life exhausted and frustrated. Um, and when I saw that cheetah, that cheetah freaking chase that dirty pink bunny, I thought, <laughs> Oh, Okay. Certainly, if a cheetah can be tamed to forget who she is, then so can a woman, mm-hmm. right? So I think in that moment, I thought, oh, here it is. Here it is. Here's what I needed to kind of crystallize this idea that's been bubbling up inside of me. I, I just loved how all the parts of it worked so perfectly, like the 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 golden retriever or the lab, I can't remember, going beforehand and kind of paving the way for this cheetah and then the little pink bunny. It was, it was as almost as if it was built for your book. (laughs) No, I know because that's what happens to us, right? It's not all, you know, all it is, is it's our, you know, it's our social programming. It's, you know, we're born wild. And then most of us, most of us, not all of us, but most of us have a few good years of childhood freedom where we're kind of living as our true selves And then we really do begin to surrender to this, what I call taming, but what is really just social programming. It's just, um, we have to be assimilated into zoos, right? Like we, Mm -hmm. families and communities and nations and religions. And, um, and the way that happens is a million different ways. You know, some people get their conditioning directly. Like you are a Doyle. This is how Doyles act. You are a woman. This is how women behave. You are a Christian. This is what Christians believe. So some of it's direct and some of it's just we watch other people, just like the cheetah watched the lab. Like we watch other people and we learn it that way. You know, it just absorbs into us how to assimilate. And some of it's necessary and some of it is completely not. Glennon, do you have any tattoos? I do. I do. Because you and I, I, we are very similar in the sense that I live my life through metaphor. Everything is way more digestible to me through metaphor. And I probably overuse them, especially as a writer. I really have to reel it back with similes and metaphors. But with this cheetah, may I just suggest, I really see a pink bunny on the back of your neck near your head with a path running away, the bunny landing on your heart with a cheetah just there with a big pink bunny eating smile on it. What's oh it? I love my it. God. That is so much better than my actual tattoo, which I got while drunk. And it is oh, on the cheers. back of my back when I was still drinking 
and um, it's just it's Asian symbols, and oh, I don't, no. I, oh, I don't, no. of course it is because it was that or the barbed wire. <laughs> um, so we can be grateful for that, and I don't want to know what it really says. Glennon, what, what, you, what did you know. think it meant? Okay, what I when think I asked it? for was sister, <laughs> teacher, friend. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Of course Super I did. Super unique. Of okay. course yeah. I did. I think it probably says like drunk, blonde, <laughs> asshole or something. Oh, God. So um, so with your memoir, I've got to say, we could talk tattoos all do, day, do but we'll keep we going. Call it a, do you call it a memoir? How would you actually, define? would you define I it that do. way? Okay, got it. I think I call it a memoir for sure, um, but I think it's kind of a manifesto too. I mm-hmm. think it's just mm. like, if I... You guys, if I stopped writing right now, I would be happy. Like, this is mm. the book. The, my first two books, I was like, I don't know. I just was playing around. I couldn't get to it. Like, I couldn't get to it. And this book is just, it's what I've been trying to say since I was 10 years old. Because, and, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, that just, that comes across so clearly because the section that you start that's called Ghosts, you open it with a quote that I just, God, I love you. You wrote, I was born a little broken with an extra dose of sensitivity. Some horseshit I wrote about myself in my first memoir. And I was just like, fuck yes, Glennon. I, I just, I deeply appreciate your ability to be so transparent with your evolution as a thinker and as a writer and as a, a memoirist. And and Kate has written a memoir. Uh, my second book was not a memoir, mm-hmm. but it's stuck forever on the pages that people will get whenever they want it. And and I just, I want to know for you as a writer, as you, you, I, you seem to be evolving almost daily, what is it like for you to know that there are these things called books that will always exist as they are? D- does it make you cringe? Or are you proud to see the evolution of where you are now? Well, I mean, I guess I could pay attention to my body while you're saying that. Like, I'm actually sweating even more than when we started this conversation. So from that, I can guess that, I mean, it's a little uncomfortable to have early versions of yourself out there in a permanent. But I think, you know, it's fascinating, too. I mean, you guys, I just read this review because, you know, I'm not allowed to read any of my reviews. So I read them all, every single one of them, (laughs) all of them. And, um, this one woman wrote, she was writing about untamed Mm -hmm. and she said that she had read carry on warrior and love warrior and that she knew two things. And number one was that like, I was a writer that she was honest and she loved. And it said, number two, girl, you're gay. Like she knew from my first two freaking memoirs. And I I just want to say like, what do they know about me now that I don't know yet? Like, it's so fascinating to have these versions of yourself out there where you're just figuring yourself out because really if you're a memoirist, all you're doing is looking back on your life over and over again with a new lens, right? Like this new Mm -hmm. lens that each decade kind of gives you. And I think there's something really beautiful about the, your readers watching you evolve because what we're doing is we're just growing up together, right? It's like, Carrie Ann Warrior was kind of like my 20s and Love Warrior was my 30s and Untamed is is my 40s. And so, you know, whenever people p- tell me they're reading one of my older books, I just want to be like, can you just read Untamed real quick? Just, <laughs> yeah, can you absolutely. Just, can you just start with, like, I'm, I'm smarter now. I, I'm smarter, I swear. Like, just, so it's vulnerable. It is. 
So, Glennon, I usually know people are gay by their hand gestures, <laughs> and I'm just curious oh. as to what gesturing through the written word you were doing in those earlier books. Did this woman actually articulate anything that she noticed, no. or just the general sense of like, "Girl, you're gay." This is well, I mean, I me. think it. I think it might have been my uh, complete and understanding of mis. Like, I didn't understand what sex was, or like all of mm. Love Warrior was just me trying to figure out what's the big deal about sex. Like, it's not fun. I don't like it. Like now, when I look back, I'm like, oh, I see. Yeah. Like there were a lot of signs. Um, but I think that might have been like what, what they were seeing <laughs> the, the was cool just thing. a total lack of all human understanding. Yeah. Of um, so, so how do you, cause there's, there are in untamed, there are so many wonderful observations and I mean, I messaged you about one of them about even rebellion being a form of acceptance of our society. Cause you have, you know, you have agreed that these are the rules against which we have to rebel. And there's a, you know, a dozen more that we, that we could pull out that are such great insights. And I, I, I want to know how you go about testing a thought or an insight. Do, do you actually have conversations? Do you run it by people? Or do you sit in your writer's room and just pour them out and you feel so confident in all of them? No, not that. Not, <laughs> not the last of these Thank God. Um, <laughs> I mean, I spend, you guys, I spend a lot of time alone. Like I am most comfortable probably when I'm just thinking like I can be very alone in the same room as a lot of people because mm. I'm normally just in my mind. So I, I do think about these things a lot, but well, for example, that, that one you just mentioned about figuring out that, that rebellion is as much of a cage as obedience because you are still living your life in reaction to okay, whatever it is, the man, the institution, whatever you're hating and creating your life in rebellion against is still your only building in reference to that thing mm-hmm, as opposed mm-hmm. to creating it out of nothing, right? And, and when we, uh, honestly, when I figured that out was watching Abby with Faith. Like she was so adamantly mad at this God that did not exist for her. <laughs> Right, like the amount of time that she spent being so annoyed, you know, and and it was like a beautiful years long conversation between us to figure out, oh, like living in, in anger about that thing gives that thing just as much power over you as if you live in agreeance to that thing. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think it's, um, a lot of, I mean, you guys know, it, could there be any more talking than the talking that happens between two married women? No, absolutely. No. Like, there can't be any more we, talking. No. Like, <laughs> if, if, if people can talk each other to death, yes. we will be dead soon. Like, yes. we wake up and we start talking and we don't stop. I mean, Liz Gilbert's one of my best friends. She, when she was married, well, when she was with Rhea, she used to talk about it like it was like two women just beating rugs by a river together all day. Like, that's... <laughs> The visual that, so I think a lot of the ideas in this came from, I mean, the things that I've had to unlearn, I'm always discussing with Abby. I mean, even like the way I dress. I mean, one day I came home and we came into the house, Abby and I both, and I said, okay, I'm going to go get cozy because that's the second I step into my house, I have to like change into pajamas right away. Mm -hmm. And 
And I said, are you going to go get cozy too? And she said, I live cozy. <laughs> that, wow, that is Kate and I in a nutshell. <laughs> and I looked at her and I was like, well, this is some shit. Like, what? <laughs> well, so, so, it, it sounds silly, but it was an epiphany for me. Like, you can live cozy. Mm-hmm. Yes, you can. I've just learned that I have to dress up in this costume called woman that is uncomfortable and makes me sad. I know. <laughs> right? Yeah, when I discovered Jordans, it was the greatest thing ever because I could be stylish and comfortable at the same time without trying to be someone I wasn't. So it was, it was, a, it was a game changer. Ah, totally. There is so much societal unlearning that we have to do. That, that's actually probably one of my favorite through lines of your entire book is how much you tackle that in every different genre. And, uh, you know, there, there was something I posted a while back, you know, the fuck the shoulds do the wants. And mm-hmm. the people who responded positively to it, you know, they, they understand it, they vibrate with it. But obviously there were a lot of people who were like, I, I can't fuck the shoulds. I'm, I'm a mother or I, I have duties. I'm responsible. I can't just live like you and do whatever you want. And, and you really tackle that, especially when you're talking about your kids and you, you even say that your duty is always to disappoint someone over disappointing yourself. And I'm, I'm mm-hmm. just so, I mean, I've read the book, so I don't want to give anything away, but I would love to hear through your words, how would you talk to someone who cannot conceptualize that that isn't selfish to behave that way. Right. Well, I mean, selfish, right? That's the word the, yeah, that we're that's all the word that always comes so, up. so afraid of. Um, and, and if there's any more beautiful and perfect proof of, of, you know, a patriarchy's power in a woman's life is that the ultimate compliment that a woman can get, right, in, is she's selfless. Mm-hmm. Like, the insanity of that. Like, what the greatest goal of women is to become without a self. <laughs> Right. It's, it's unbelievable. Like it's, it's actually impossible. Um, and, and I think that one of the really cool things that I talk to women about when, you know, I'm a mother, I have to do what I should. Okay. Well then what is your definition of mother? Right. I mean, one of the most fascinating things for me when I fell deeply in love with Abby and really started to consider dismantling my marriage, um, I, my main reason that I was going to stay was because I have three children because mm-hmm. most, most, I have this one that's super sensitive, Tish, and I just thought, no, a good mother doesn't, you know, a good mother I've been taught is a martyr. Like a good mother is somebody who buries her emotions and her desires and her dreams and calls that love, right? That's what a mother should do. And then one day I was looking at Tish and she was getting ready. She's looking in the mirror and she said to me, mommy, can I do my hair like yours? And I thought, oh, every time this girl looks at me, she's asking me a question. She is saying, you know, she's looking at me and thinking, how does a, how does a woman live? How does a woman love and be loved? How does a woman do her hair? And I thought, I am staying in this marriage for her, but what I want this marriage for her. Mm-hmm. And what I realized is I really had been sold, been programmed to believe that a mother is a martyr, right? Mm-hmm. And what an incredible burden for children of mother of martyr mothers to bear, right? To, to know deeply that they are the reason that their mother stopped living. And to know that if they become parents, they will need to slowly die for their children too, right? This is why Jung said that the greatest burden that 
a child can bear is the unlived life of a parent. Mm. And so I figured out, oh, (laughs) what if a mother's job is not to slowly die for her children, but to show her children how to bravely live until the day she dies, right? Like, what if children will only allow themselves to live as, as, uh, to give themselves permission to live as freely as their parents do? So actually a mother's duty is to not settle for any relationship, conversation, institution, community, nation, less true and beautiful than the one she'd want for her child, right? Like what if the call of motherhood was never martyrdom, but being a model, right? Which is when I figured out, um, oh, this kid doesn't need me to save her. This kid needs to watch her mother save herself, right? So the shoulds are interesting. I mean, if you must have the word should in your life, great. But you better make sure that that should is coming from you because culture would have said that I should ignore myself, abandon myself again, and that that would be what was best for my children, right? And that's when I redefine motherhood, that's not at all what a good mother should do. A mother should never abandon herself so that her daughter doesn't one day think she needs to abandon herself either. And how do you think that's applicable? So I'm divorced. I was married to a man and am now married to my to me. co-host, who's, yeah. a, who's a woman, by the way. Um, and I'm just wondering how you think that's applicable to someone who doesn't, isn't coming from a family background, who doesn't have to you know, look out for the well-being of their children. Because when I was going through my divorce, I had one of those moments, and I don't remember much in life. I don't know why. My, my memory retention is absolutely horrible. And um, but I remember waking up one day out loud just saying, you know, I would rather be alone than be in this marriage. For the rest mm-hmm. of my life, I would rather be alone than be in this marriage. And I needed to believe that and feel that. And, of course, it came through talking to everyone that I loved and, and trying to p- get people to burp me and hold me and coddle me <laughs> and tell me everything's going to be okay. <laughs> yep. And there's no such I thing. I remember those days. And, mm-hmm. you know, and so I get a lot of women coming to me not necessarily with children, but who are doing that dance of I've been married to a man and I've fallen in love with a woman and, and how is society going to accept me? And and I just know that you can tackle this so beautifully and I would love to hear how you would respond to someone like that. Yeah, I mean, it, you mean someone in that in our particular situation? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think that it, I don't think that our particular situation matters or is much different than, I mean, what we know, what we know is that we have two selves, right? What I would call the untamed self, mm-hmm. right? Which is that true, beautiful voice we have inside of you, uh, inside of ourselves. And then we have the tamed self, which is the one who's been socially programmed. So your two selves would have been the self who was acting like your marriage was fine, the self that was telling, was saying, oh, well, I should just be grateful. I have it so much better than other people. Like so many people would kill for this situation, whatever it is. You have that self that has been trained just to be grateful. And then you have the inner self, the untamed self, who's slowly dying, Mm -hmm. right? And who actually wants something different and wants something more. Now, the reason why women in particular are so terrified to honor that untamed self that wants more is because we have been trained by every institution on earth to believe that a woman wanting more is the end of the world. Now I will tell you that I was literally taught that 
Okay. The first, the first story I ever heard about being a woman was as follows. I was in second grade, caught the, the CCB teacher at my church who represented God to me. Right. Okay. Was like, okay, you guys come sit down. I'm going to teach you about how God made man and woman. And I was like, Jesus, this feels important. Okay. <laughs> um, and she said, okay, so what happened is that there was God and God made Adam and everything was perfect. Well, it was just the two bros. Okay. But then, um, Adam got bored and stressed out. So, uh, God made Eve for him to, uh, to serve him and, and hang out with him. And then Eve couldn't leave well enough alone. And she wanted more, and she went for it, and then all hell broke loose, and um, all suffering was unleashed on the earth, and all of their descendants were cursed forever. Go with God, <laughs> girls. Okay? Yep. So that the, the message was very clear there. Like, you cannot trust yourself. Women cannot be trusted. Right? So, mm. and, and the very clear sub-message there was, just be freaking grateful for what you have. Mm-hmm. Don't rock the boat. Don't listen to that inner voice, right? That inner voice is Satan. It's a snake. Like whatever you do, don't listen to yourself because you will sabotage your life. You will sabotage the world. I don't think it's true. Although I will tell you this, like every great lie, there is a little bit of truth in it. Okay. I think there's a very distinct reason why our culture would want women to not go for what they want. Okay. Because I've talked to women. My whole job for the last decade and a half has been to listen to women. Okay. And the things that women want deeply, the deep desires of women, just like you just said, what you wanted was to be actually seen and loved and valued and free. Right. Mm -hmm. Women tell me they want, you know, they want a minute to take a deep breath. They want good sex and good food and good sleep they want enough power and money to stop being afraid. They want um, safety for their children and for all children. They want to look at the world and see less pain. Like what women deeply want is fucking beautiful, mm-hmm. right? Like the entire world's marching orders should be the deep desires of women. But the thing is, and this is what I think is so interesting, they're right. Like what women want is dangerous. It's really dangerous, but it's not dangerous to us. It's not dangerous to our people. It's dangerous to status quo, right? It's dangerous to power. That's why they, the, the world coaches us to be afraid of ourselves. Because if women actually returned to themselves, if women actually trusted themselves, if women actually went for what they want, dreams would be fulfilled, imbalanced relationships would be equalized, wars would end, corrupt governments would topple, right? In, yeah. Unjust institutions would crumble and the world would end as we know it, which is exactly what we want to happen, <laughs> right? So that we can rebuild relationships and families and institutions and nations built on equality and justice. So what I would say is there's, there's a very real reason that those women who write to you are afraid to trust themselves, right? And the real reason is that if they trust in themselves, they're in, the entire world will change, and I just think we have to be brave enough to allow our deepest selves to change our entire worlds. Because that's why we're here. 
Do you think we could see a Doyle Wombach ticket for 2024? Because <laughs> I would vote for that. <laughs> we can't run for president because we have to keep getting shit done. Okay? It's <laughs> true. So true. So you have a chapter in the book where you deconstruct how you feel that your ideas are often superior, right? And that, that seems really loaded at the outset, but I, I mean, you, you obviously wrote the books, you know exactly which chapter I'm talking about where it's like, well, you struggled to li- live a few months, whether it's six months or a year, like letting Abby's way of life kind of not run things, but maybe take precedent at various point. And then you also have that moment where you, you tell Craig, your ex-husband that, you know, his ideas were good too. And I think mm-hmm. there's probably a lot of, of people listening, right? Where, and I'm definitely one of them where I truly deeply believe in Catherine's look, looking at me now that like my <laughs> ideas are superior. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. but, but there's also like this little buzz that's recognizing that that can't always be true. Um, and so, <laughs> or maybe but it feels isn't often. true, Kate, doesn't it? It just feels, it feels true. really true and it and and I know you you obviously relate because you wrote it but like it leads to a lot of control issues because I want to yeah. sometimes I want to control what Catherine's Kate's says, shoulders are getting right? really high you know? right now really high like, yes um she'll yeah. like run a question by me before an interview and I'll be like yeah but don't you think it'd be better if you phrased it this way oh god um, Kate, it same. sounds now and you, you know try I'm to make- nervous about this <laughs> oh god so I just wanted oh, to god. know in writing that chapter it probably gave you some broader contextual awareness of how you wanted to be in the world about this thought that your ideas are superior. And and I apologize if I'm putting words in your mouth, but like, did it help you? How do you, how do you manage this? Okay. So this is the journey of my marriage. Okay. This is, I realized that, well, I didn't realize it. Okay. Abby told me every day. (laughs) (laughs) that, um, that I was controlling. Okay. And what, what she means by that is that I think that I know exactly, I just thought I was like a good leader. Okay. I thought I was creative and resourceful and that I had very clear vision and that I really did have good ideas about how everyone should behave. And that actually is how I ran my first marriage. Okay. That went great. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> without a hitch that one went and and um and so I'm laughing about it but it actually I mean we I we had crying talks about it. like it just it felt to Abby like um like I didn't trust her like I didn't believe in her it went into all areas of our life like family stuff business stuff um you know, she, I just was always doing the thing where I would manipulate the situation by something that I said and how I said it. And, and when I made my idea, you know, come across as seeming like the right one, it would make her feel less confident in herself. And it just, I don't know. So I think that what it comes down to for me, I say, I think I have good ideas. Okay. But I think it's really fear-based. I think it's really fear-based. I think I feel like the world is going to fall apart if I don't control every damn last thing. Um, and and so my relationships just became a part of that. And what I 
figured out what I did is I just decided to let Abby make decisions for a little while and see mostly what I thought would happen is that all hell would break loose and everything would go to shit. And then, and then we could go back to my way of doing it. Right. It was just, it was, it was another leadership strategy, but just like a long-term one. Yeah. Um, Playing the long game on that one. So sneaky. Right. It didn't go wrong. Like, and by the way, like I was, I was afraid that my wife couldn't lead her own life. Like my wife is like, the leaderest leader that ever leaded, mm-hmm. right? She's literally like whatever she is. You guys know what she was. She was the Absolutely. captain of a very important team. Okay. <laughs> so it's not like this person has no leadership experience, right? Anyway, we did her, we did things her way for a little while. Like we trusted people where I would be more, my boundaries are just really, really high. We kind of let things work out. Whereas I'm like controlling every minute of every day. And I just, my life just became a lot more lovely is the way I can say it. Like it it became very clear that, that her way of life was actually quite beautiful and like nothing did go to hell. And like my kids kind of got a little bit more breathing room and, and, and our relationship got a little bit better because she just felt honored, I think, and trusted and, and what I figured out through that is that, oh, okay, it's not just a leadership strategy. It's not just believing that you have good ideas. It's like a deep, deep, it's not love, right? Because when you're trying to control something, I think that control and love are opposites is what I figured out through this. Like, I don't think I've ever loved a, a, in a, loved in a romantic way before Abby because I've always been trying to control the person. And you can control someone or love someone, but you can't do both because love inherent in love is trust and we only control things we don't trust. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, so like Kate, when you're saying, and I'm, I'm only using this as an example because I do this every four minutes Mm -hmm. with Abby. Okay. So I'm with you in solidarity on this (laughs) situation, but when Mm -hmm. you are saying, okay, but what if you ask this question this way, then what you're saying to the person is, I don't think that you nailed that. Like, I don't think that you can handle this. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. I feel seen. Thank which, you, Glennon. <laughs> yeah, which which is so like deflating. And so anyway, the fa- okay, I, this is so random, but I'm just going to tell you that it took me figuring out, okay, I can either control Abby or I can love Abby, but I can't do both. And I would like to love Abby, right? Yep. Even if, even if we do an interview and her answer is not as good as the, what I think it should be. Okay? Yep. And Kate, I'm just going to say that happens quite a lot. Okay. A lot of times, a lot of times. And, but, but we loved each other through it. Well, right. Which is maybe more important than nailing every answer. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Right. And so this love and trust thing, this love and trust versus control thing is now what I'm obsessed with because even since I finished the book, I realized that control has so much to do you know, when I, Catherine, one of the reasons I love your work so much, and I actually do your yoga classes. You don't know this. I, I have don't this know app. that. Oh, really? you do? Okay. No, I do. Yeah, she don't. She's very, she's very happy yeah. right now. Yeah, my, I my do your classes. <laughs> yeah, I have this app. You are so good at, um, I don't know how to say it, but I feel like I love my body a little bit more every time I do one of your classes. Mm-hmm. Thank and you. 
figuring out this love versus um, control thing with my romantic relationship, I had to figure that out first to move on to my own self and my own body. Because what I'm figuring out lately is I don't trust, I don't love myself and my own body because I spend so much time every day trying to control my body, Mm -hmm. okay? Like control my appetite, control how much I'm working out, control, 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 which really means I don't trust my body to just do what the hell it wants to do and look how it wants to look and be how it wants to be, right? It's like, I'm not love. So anyway, I think that's the next, like the final frontier for me is to figure out how to apply this letting go of control and embracing love with Abby to like letting go of control and embracing love with my own body, which is not what you asked me. Sorry. <laughs> that was, it was though, because it was, I love the, the loving control and love versus control. Um, and I, I need to, ask another question about it because I now now I'm going to treat this like my personal therapy session for you which I think I feel like you get a lot of after your speaking events yeah. anyway so imagine me as one of the people who wait in line afterward um so you've got this you've got this um idea in the book that I love where you acknowledge that when Abby relaxes on the couch during the day it mm-hmm. I hate the word tri- <laughs> it tr- quote unquote triggers you even though you know yes it, it makes you feel things. And I really related to that because although Catherine doesn't like lie on the couch during the day, I would never let myself lie on the couch during the day. Mm -hmm. And it's to the point, Glennon, where we're coming up on summer and I have this part of myself where until the sun goes down, I will... All I care about is the water things work I get and to, green juice. Yeah, Catherine water calls work it and green juice. water work and green juice. I will drink water. Mm. I will only mm-hmm. eat extremely healthy things, and mm-hmm. I will only be focused on whatever outward pursuit of work there is. And it is yeah. not until the sun goes down. It is. It is not a certain time of day. It is when the sun goes down that I'm mm. a human being again. And it's so exciting. No rules, nothing. It's like the sun goes down, <laughs> and I'm a human. And I'm really worried yep. about summer. Because the sun doesn't go, I'm, I swear I'm to God. I'm worried about summer now that you're saying this out loud. That the sun doesn't go down until nine o'clock here in Charleston. That's four more hours <laughs> of me having to of, live this way. And me waiting for a burrito. And I don't, <laughs> I don't know how to like, I, there's not enough time. It's March and the sun's, the sun's going to start going down later and later over the next two months. Like, I don't know how to like work on this right now. Do you oh, resonate with this? Do you connect with this? Dear Glennon, please I mean, save us. Love all. the beauty pagan household. <laughs> I connect all with that. I'm just sitting here thinking that you, Kate, are a genius for marrying Catherine. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm serious. Like, isn't that amazing how, like, we're just falling in love, we're just falling in love, but like, we find exactly the partners that we need Mm -hmm. to give us that other half of being human. Right. Because, because that, I mean, the way you are with all of your busyness and greening and watering. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's half, that's half of life. Like way to go. Right. Yeah. But, but maybe, there's an, I mean, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I think it's a way of being. Were your parents busybodies too? Like, where I was not really allowed to even sit down 
in my house. Yeah, they, they would. They were never sitting. They were. They weren't great relaxers until the sun went down. Obviously, so this is a pattern. So yes, <laughs> this has been passed pattern. down for sure. Yeah. But like, uh, Glenn, I need to tell you that when the sun goes down, you will never meet anyone that relaxes harder than I do. It's true. Then she turns into like a vampire who can't handle water. You know, you pass her a glass oh, of hydration. She's healthy. Like, <laughs> and then it's great. <laughs> Anyway, this is more about I mean, me right I don't now, know. Maybe we need a different therapist because I think it sounds amazing. Okay. Like, I love it. I love it. I do think that perhaps, you know, some personal work could be maybe shifting the deadline. Like, not like doing all that till nine o'clock, unacceptable. And doesn't the sun not, not um, set till like nine o'clock in the summer? That's what I'm terrified of. Yeah, it's, it's terrifying. Yeah. I think you're going to have to be flexible to be flexible. What do you think? Are you just one of those people who believes that your worthiness is all tied to productivity? I I, I abandoned that a couple of years ago after working on this, this book on this young athlete who died by suicide. I very quickly Mm -hmm. realized that the algorithm of my life, you know, success plus achievement equals happiness was extremely flawed. But it's mm-hmm. been a process of deconstructing the actual structure of my life that w- was chasing that equation. And, and the concept is yeah. still ingrained, too, I believe. Yes, like, of course. Yes. We really understand. Yeah. Um, it's in our bones. So one, okay, I have one little tip for you, Kate, okay. that what I think you should do, should, we love that word, <laughs> is one of the things that I, with my busybodiness, do when I know I need to stop and like breathe and relax and be human with Abby, who's probably been waiting for me on the couch for six hours <laughs> is I seriously write, relax with Abby on the couch on my to-do list. Oh my okay? God. If it's, <laughs> if it's one of my things to accomplish in order to make my relationship better, in order to better myself in all of these other ways, if I can check it off, it makes me feel like it's part of my productive day instead of like separate from it. So what will happen is I will launch my iPhone. I will open calendar. I will put relax with Catherine at 5 PM. And then I will put burrito. every day plus burrito every right. day for the next <laughs> three years. Just put that into the calendar. Right. So that way, if you don't do it, you can feel that sense of loathing and shame that comes with us people. And and that's what we need, Kate. That's my motivator. The threat of shame and unworthiness. Oh, wow. To relax. This is everything. Okay. So so the the concept of good decisions versus bad decisions, uh, this is something we've been talking about personally. And uh, we were talking with a friend of ours, Dana Childs, about how there's no such thing as a good decision or a bad decision. It's just choice. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you will not understand whether your choice will benefit you or hurt you or do exactly what it was always intended to do until the effects have settled. And you quote this throughout the book, and I absolutely love it. Speaking of good tattoos, um, the braver I am, the luckier I get. And mm-hmm. I... I personally am moving into a phase of my life where I'm I'm very good at making choices even if I know if I don't understand what the outcome is. I'm not as attached mm-hmm. to that, but I know so many people are unwilling to make that leap unless they are assured that there's something cushy to catch them when they fall, which obviously mm-hmm. is not real life. And Kate and I we relate to you and Abby in the sense that we made a brave decision to leave the lives that we are in to find each other. And we do have that little smile every day of how lucky are we? Mm -hmm. How lucky are we? But it's 
if we rewound to that moment in time, there was no safety net. There was no promise. For all we knew, we were completely burning our lives down. And I just, I, 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 will, I will constantly go back to the school. The baver I am, the luckier I get. But for all mm-hmm. those who have no concept of what it means to be brave, that, 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 that intrinsic fear that is part of their DNA, is there like a, a little baby step one that, you know, yeah. a digestible bite to start with? Well, I mean, I think the first thing to do is define what you mean by brave mm. in your own life. Because I think one of the confusing things is everybody's running around screaming about being brave, but everybody means something different by that, you know? I mean, I think that somebody somebody put on a meme somewhere years ago, being brave is feeling afraid and doing it anyway. And so we were all just like, okay, well, if it's on a meme, it must be true. So that's like, <laughs> we all just decided that that's what it means. But I don't think that's what it means to me anyway. So I was, um, I took my two little, I have a son and two daughters until they tell me different. And I took the two girls to um, get their ears pierced one day. And I have an older daughter, Tish, and um, she's pretty like, she's a cautious kid. She's very well behaved. And then her younger sister is Emma. And she's just, I just got really tired when I, when she was born and I just kind of stopped parenting. So she was born and I was just like, here's an iPad, Godspeed. Right. So she is, (laughs) she is awesome. She's wild. She's, she's just, she doesn't have any of my neuroses. She's um, just, I guess if you looked at her, you would say she's kind of like free spirited, right? Mm -hmm. That's what they always say about kids who are just like on their own. Right. (laughs) So she's, um, I take them to get their ears pierced and Emma, the little one runs up and sits in the seat and she's like, do it. And they just, they're like, wow. So they pierce both her ears and they swell up and she kind of tears up a little bit and wipes her tears away. And one of the, um, Tish looks at me and she goes, no, I changed my mind. I'm not doing that. Nope. No ear piercing for me. So I said, okay, we'll tell the lady, the, the piercer. So Tish said, actually, I changed my mind. I'm not going to get my ears pierced today. And this really interesting thing happened, which is that the the well-meaning woman who was piercing the ears and all of these little um, people and mothers who were standing around started to say to Tish, oh, come on, be brave. Be brave like your sister. Look how brave your sister is. And it was this odd moment where something was off, but I couldn't figure out exactly what, so I didn't say the right thing. But we walked away, and in the car on the way home, I realized okay, we have the wrong definition of brave. Brave is not being afraid and doing it anyway. Because by the way, we're all telling our five-year-olds that that's what brave means, but is that the what we want our 16-year-old kids to think we, you know, like a Tish is getting in the car in a couple years and she's going to the kegger down the street telling me she's going to the movies. Do I really want to say, okay, be brave, honey. And by that, I mean, if anything your peers are doing that feels scary in your instinct, I want you to just like plow through that feeling and just do that shit anyway, right? Like it's not, that's not it. And what I realized is, okay, both of those girls were brave in that situation because each had a deep knowing inside of themselves. Emma's knowing, her inner voice said, yes, I want that. And she used that voice to get what she wanted. Tish's voice said, no, I'm not ready. And she used that voice to communicate that and get what she wanted, which was to not be get her ears pierced that day, right? They both were extremely brave. And I would say actually that Tish was more brave in the situation because the inner knowing that she had, the voice that she had to 
to use was not going to get her the applause from the crowd, Mm -hmm. right? So what I figured out is, oh, okay, brave is not being afraid of doing it anyway, because then we have this monolithic definition of brave, which is just always doing the crazy daring thing, right? No, being brave is having that inner self. You know, we talked earlier about the two selves, having that inner self saying, this is what I need and want and using that voice on the outside. That's it. It's, it's um, being true to self. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's confidence. Like confidence means that word is just fidelity to self, mm-hmm. right? So it's not abandoning yourself. It's honoring that inner voice and using it on the outside. So what I would say, when I have that moment with Abby where we look at each other and we think, oh my God, we're so lucky. What is inside that moment for me? It's not just like, oh, I found my love. That's there. But it's also just this freedom I feel because I'm not living with two selves anymore, right? It's no more secrets, no more shame, no more pretending, no more lies. It's I had that knowing on the inside that not this, but this. And I use that voice on the outside and I let all of that, you know, false security and comfort burn to try for this not this freedom, mm-hmm. right? So what I would say is that being brave, it's just doing the thing you think you can't do, saying the thing that you think you can't say, and just letting the chips fall wherever they fall. And it doesn't have to be a big, huge thing in terms of leaving a husband and whatever. I mean, it, it, it can also be when you're in a conversation, And somebody says that thing, you know, that dog whistle thing, that racist thing, that misogynistic thing, whatever. And you have that inner voice that's like, no, not this. Mm -hmm. But you're afraid to use that voice because it will make things awkward. Right? That's our taming. It's it's just going ahead and making things awkward in order to honor yourself. Because when you don't honor yourself, we think. We think, okay, I can make it out of this. If I, I, I have this inner knowing. But I want to say this thing. I need to say this thing, but I can just not say it. And then I don't have to pay the price of the outer awkwardness. But there is a price. The price to pay is that you just slowly die. Every time you abandon that self, you just slowly and slowly die. So to me, the brave thing to do is when we feel that inner knowing, when we feel that inner voice, we just let it live outside of ourselves. And then our outside worlds become more beautiful and they become more unique to us as opposed to the cookie cutter lives that we are all creating because our taming has told us to want certain things. So when I finished the book, one thing from a structural perspective that I thought of was that the book almost reminded me of like an old school CD mix Instead mm. of, you know, it was like the, and the title of the CD mix was, was untamed. And, and mm. for, for people who read the book, they'll, un, they'll understand that in that it's not, there's no narrative from start to finish where it's like this chapter leads to the next because of like chronological time or anything. There, there, many of the chapters stand independently much like a CD mix. But if you're making quality CD mixes back in the nineties and early two thousands, you, had an order that you made that made sense to you. And so mm-hmm. when you were working to put this book together, what 
How did you think of the structure and, and the order in that way? Oh, I'm so excited that you asked me this question. <laughs> Nothing makes me more excited than talking about this nerdy stuff. And just thank you. Okay. Well, first of all, <laughs> um, I wrote this book twice. So Untamed was not this book. Okay. It was a hundred thousand words of, how do I explain this? I was writing about the book. I was writing, um, you know, how, the, how we get tamed, how we get socially programmed, um, how it happens in each culture and in each institution, all of these things. I wrote the book. It was, it was, it was good. Okay. I have my dear friend, Liz come over uh, she comes and stays for, with me for the weekend. And she's like, read to me from the book. This is like a year and a half ago, a couple years ago. She's like, read to me, read to me. So she lays on the couch and I start reading. And you guys, I'm watching my friend Liz and she's melting into the couch. Her eyes close. She's sinking into the couch. It's like as if she's, she's slowly dying. Oh, no. <laughs> and basically, in much sweeter words, she tells me, this is shit. This is shit. Yeah. Yeah. Thank God and, for those friends, though. Thank God. And you guys, I knew it was shit. I knew it wasn't magic. I knew it wasn't right. I just was hoping no one would notice. <laughs> right? I know that feeling. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and what we figured out together as we sat together for the next day was I was writing a book about the wildness inside of us, but I wasn't writing it wild. Mm. I was writing a book about getting outside of constructs and structures. And I was writing it within a traditional structure, right? Mm. I was writing about a message and not using the median as the message. I was writing like a, I don't know, like a social scientist instead of writing like an artist, right? So I threw the whole thing out. Basically, I was writing the foundation of the book. Like I was writing about the book. I was writing um, all of the stuff that should be implied in the art. Right. So, so I threw that away and started over and I wanted it to read like a freaking cheetah. I wanted it to be like a bullet. I wanted it. When I structured it, I knew, I knew every type of taming that I wanted to show. I wanted to show through story how we get tamed in religion, how we get tamed in gender, how we get tamed in families, all of it. And so I knew I wanted one story to show how that gets done to us. And then in the second half, I wanted a, a story to show how it gets undone, right? So the way that I had it structured in my entire dining room was covered with these huge those huge post-it sticky notes and it looked like a mountain. It was like an, an inverted mountain. Like this is how we go down, hmm. right? When we're born, these, these things start happening to us. This is how we go down. And then there's like a, a, a shift and this is how we come out of it. Right. So there's for every, you wouldn't, we wouldn't know this. Like it's, it's hopefully nobody thinks about this when they're reading, but for every moment of, um, of taming, there's a, there's a moment of untaming in the outside, in the second half. They're like parallel to each other. You can trace one back each time. It's like very, very structured, actually. It's so smart. And I, I love, love it. that it's all these little digestible bite-sized 
anecdotal stories for people to read too, where you, I don't feel the need. And I mean, I do encourage people to read it chronologically, chronologically yeah. and ideally in a structured time period. But I do believe that this is the kind of book that could rest on someone's bedside table and you just pick it up and you can randomly open to one of these sections and find exactly what you need in that moment. Yeah. Mm, I hope so. Glenn, you've written an amazing book with and tons of awesome ideas. And so we were very thankful to be able to read it and talk about it within our relationship and see ways in which we can apply it to our lives outside of, I mean, it's just, there are a lot of awesome ideas in it. And, and our drawbridge is always open to you. And when mm. people read the book, they'll understand what that means. Yeah. Yeah. Um, same, same. So in conclusion, um, what's your favorite cookie? Oh, the cookies again. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just always going to stick. Actually, I don't know if I'm sticking. I don't, maybe this is new, but I feel really, really passionately about just a really good, warm chocolate chip cookie. That's my girl. That's my girl. Yeah. Respect. And I like it to be big. I don't like it to be small. Like a, no. like a like face size cookie small. or. We, yeah. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm going to say face size. Okay. Yeah. I just, I think that, um, that small cookies are mean. <laughs> and yeah. large cookies are generous. There's the quote from the interview. Small cookies are yeah. mean. Glenn and yeah. Accurate. Very accurate. <laughs> All um, right, Glenn, we love you so much. Thank you for taking the time to talk with us. Yes, thank you. I love you too so much. Thank you, thank you. That was Glennon. Doyle. Married to. Abby. Wambach. Score! With the header that catapulted... The U.S. All right, this is about Glenn and not about. But I, I did really appreciate that I was able to share with everybody how scared I am about daylight savings time. Now that there's an extra hour, and so I have to keep moving for an extra hour at night. And I it's, feel like it was a really good therapy session for our personal relationship, which is what was, which is what a good nonfiction title should be. You should be able to take little nuggets and apply it to your own life and try to improve yourself. Basically, Kate's only allowed to tell me that my ideas are good and smart. Which they are. All right. We're going to work on that. We should tell the people who makes this podcast. We are produced by Lindsay Collins of F&B Radio. You should check her out because she is the queen busy bee. And you can follow us on Instagram at at freecookiespodcast. And please, please, please follow Catherine's new book club at The Inky Phoenix. And also, as you've noticed, we do not have sponsors on this podcast and we would like to keep it that way. So if you would like to support us, you can support us through patreon.com. I believe it's patreon.com forward slash freecookiespodcast. If that doesn't work, it's forward slash freecookies. You'll figure it out. We believe in you. And you can leave a review and a rating on Apple Podcast. That is where we are. And this is the part where we give away $10,000. And this is the part. In case you thought we forgot about y'all, we did not. There is so much money waiting for you if you made it this far into the podcast. So we are going to, Lindsay, why don't you grab the um, hat that we put all the names into and um, we'll pull one now. And if you email us that you were listening, we will send you (laughs) $10,000. And Kate will not check the emails. Bye. That's a wrap.